five four three two one zero and liftoff. Dispatches, a production of Blur Bank, is an in-depth look at those living artistic lives. Each episode will feature photographs and audio interviews with narrative pioneers who have taken creativity and publishing in their own hands. From artists to authors, photographers to philosophers, Dispatches will reveal the faces and foundations of those who lead the creative way. Hey everybody, I'm coming to you today from uh, actually right dead center in the middle of Hollywood almost uh, in Los Angeles and I am with photographer, curator, publisher, and all-around gallery man Nicholas uh, Fahey. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Thanks uh, for having me. Of course. Uh, do you go by Nick or Nick Nicholas? Uh, whatever. I'm not, I'm okay. not partial. We can just say Nick for the, Nick, Nick the for brevity. Short. Yeah. yeah. My brother's name is Nick, by the way. Awesome. So I'm used to, used to throwing that out there. So photographer, curator, publisher, gallery gallery person how if i met you at a party how would you if, and ask you what you did how would you describe what you do uh, it would depend probably on what the party is what the day is and <laughs> where where we are um you know a lot of times i just i i do so many different things i jokingly call myself an entrepreneur um but you know that's I, a great title <laughs> that's a really great title but i you know i just a lot of times i just read people and figure out you know what i guess is the most relevant for them yeah um and try not to confuse them with the hundred different projects and ideas and things that i'm continuously working on yeah you seem to always have uh always have something that you're working on and it's really diverse but there's always that sort of creative part in the center so you got a degree in photography you studied photography obviously yep. there's a photo lineage in your in your family and you curate stuff and you publish stuff and now you're working here how long have you been working at Faye Klein uh, I mean full time now it's been about it's been over a year so okay. definitely getting settled figuring it out you know it's a place that I grew up and you know my oldest memories are here but you know it's always it's always interesting working with a new team figuring out the dynamic figuring out how everything works I'm you know I feel like I'm finally getting settled after a year well, what's funny to me is I grew up, I was born in Indiana in the country in this like really small, really sort of hillbilly town. And then uh, I grew up in Texas and Wyoming and Wyoming was really remote. So the idea of someone growing up, one, in Hollywood is, yeah. is fascinating <laughs> to me. And two, really growing up around the art and photography world. It's such a foreign thing. Dunas is another guy sure. I know who lives here. And, if, and he always talks about growing up on Sunset Boulevard. And that to me is equally as exotic and strange. Yeah. But um, so... For for anyone who doesn't know about Fahey Klein Gallery, how would you describe the gallery? Um, I'd say, you know, we're the oldest photography gallery on the West Coast, I guess in Los Angeles. We've been here for 30 years and, you know, we really um, started showing photography when it was still kind of considered an outside art. Okay. And, you know, really helped bring photography into the fine art discussion. Um, also kind of the idea of commerce being art as well. Yeah. You know, and really helped open that up and really provided a place for those people to be called artists. Yeah, because for a long time, photography was really considered like the, the bastard child. And then as yeah. prices came up and the relevance gained, suddenly people within the art world, which we're going to talk more about later, the art world are kind of like, they said, well, you know, hey, we got to pay attention here. Exactly. And that's exactly what happened is it, it created a market outside of the traditional art world by just people who were passionate about it, which, I mean, should always be what, what art is about. And then, you know, yeah, exactly. Like you said, it kind of got to a point where the art world couldn't deny its importance and couldn't deny its impact. It's kind of nice. Yeah. It's, it's kind of nice to like shake your fist at the art world. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I got, I'm in this, I'm like young enough, but old enough and like, you know, to, to, you know, remember kind of the animosity that the traditional art world had against kind of things my dad was doing. And so it just blows my mind to see like, you know, a dual Maplethorpe show in Los Angeles, you know, where 15 yeah. years ago, both of those institutions would have laughed you out of the building for even bringing that guy's name up. Yeah. You know, and now there's an HBO documentary special with both their curators, you know, ooing yeah. and awing over these prints. And, you know, Paul and Britt are amazing. And it's so exciting that people like them are able to, you know, grab the horns of these old institutions and kind of bring them into a new era. So <clears throat> Fahey Klein Gallery sits right here in Hollywood. It's on La Brea. And when I first moved to California, which was in 96 approximately, I was uh, I had studied photojournalism, got out in 92. I was working for freelancing and doing editorial work. And I at one point was like, I got to go to the galleries in L.A. So I had this short list of galleries. And I frankly, when I would go to galleries at that time in my life and sometimes even now today, I never I was never a huge fan of the gallery because of, of galleries because of the vibe on the inside. It yeah. was very quiet, very sort of studied and I've always felt like Crocodile Dundee walking in there where people were like looking at me and going, "Well, he's not going to buy anything." Sure. And so 
you'd kind of get the cold shoulder. And so when, the day that I drove up here to go to the galleries, I was like, okay, I'll go to Fahey Klein. And so I, I park, I get out, I come in. And I don't think there was anybody in the gallery. And so I kind of come in and I'm thinking, all right, I got to be on tiptoes here. And I'm, I'm looking, I don't remember what the show was, but I'm looking around and I'm <clears throat> in the main gallery space. And then there's a smaller room off to the right that's got a lot of images in there. And so I thought, okay, that looks really cool. And it looks like a place that I'm allowed to go in. So sure. I'm, I'm in there. And then at the very end of the hallway is, a, is, the, is an office. And it's a smaller office, but above the desk on the wall at the time was a Peter Beard print. And I had discovered myself, discovered Peter Beard in 1996 at the Phoenix Public Library. Awesome. And I found the adventures and misadventures of Peter Beard. And so it, I, it was like I was just so thrilled by finding this guy's work and to look up and see a print like that i was like holy shit that is a real peter beard and as i'm looking i'm thinking there's a guy at the desk who looks like wild bill hickok basically yep. the beard and the and he's smoking a pipe and i'm looking and i'm thinking that guy looks really serious and i'm, n I'm not going in there yeah. and he sees me kind of lurking out there and he's like you know hey what are you doing and he's like you, you can come in the office and I, I was like i'm not going in there and he's like no really you can come in here and that was the day that I, I met your dad. I told him I was a Beard fan. And I literally walked in circles around his desk or three quarters of the way around while he was still sitting there. And it was such a different experience sure. to have at a gallery because there were a couple other galleries on that same day here in town that I did not get the same kind of reception. But I wouldn't say that your dad and I are, are friends, certainly not close friends, but I've known him now for probably 20 plus years. And it's funny because one, he's told me some funny things about you. Of course. And two, he's come up and, and given me advice over the years, just sort of unsolicited things that, that have always stuck with me. And I just want the people who are listening out there, if you haven't been to the galleries in L.A., this is a really different place. Thank you. It's one of the only places that gets me to actually come to L.A. when you guys do shows. I've seen La Brea Boulevard almost closed because of the Peter Beard show yeah. that I got to go to. Yeah. And then there's another little quick side story where I gave a piece to your dad and he gave it to Peter and Peter worked on it and gave it back oh, to your awesome. dad and gave it to me. So I'm very happy about that. But you wrote an article a while back about your father. Sure. And there was a, a talk about when you were younger, you didn't really have an understanding of what he was doing because no. it's such a specific and unique world. Uh, and you didn't really understand that the, the art, sort of the value of art. What, I mean... How do you describe what you guys, how do you describe what happens here? What, what, what is the transaction? Uh, you mean like on a day-to-day -day or just in like a large scale? Yeah, like so what was the first thing when you looked at what your dad was doing and, you, and it finally clicked one day and you went, oh, I, now I get what he's I, doing. I mean like ironically it probably was that Peter Beard show and uh, to be totally honest. What year was that? That was 96. Okay, 96. And so I was 14 at the time. Wow. Yeah. So you were probably there that night? Yeah, I was definitely there uh, okay, that night. Yeah, I was yeah. actually, my, when I was a kid, my dad would make me photograph all the openings because, uh, okay. you know, usually if it's like a paparazzi or something like that, you know, and they go up to a celebrity and say like, hey, can I get your picture? They'll get a cold shoulder. But if it's, uh, you know, he made me start doing this probably when I was like seven or <laughs> That's eight. It's child labor. Yeah, it's child labor. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, who's going to tell a, like a nine-year-old with the camera, no, go away. You can't have my picture. Yeah. So there's all these early photos photos from this much lower perspective, um, you know, of, of a lot of people at, at, at the gallery. But, you know, yeah, I guess that that show was probably one of the shows where I really started realizing it because, you know, I grew up in grew up in L.A., you know, in, you know, northeast and Pasadena and stuff like that. And, you know, had a really normal childhood, normal life. You know, yeah. Pasadena is like a small town like anywhere else. And it wasn't until you know, see, I mean, obviously I knew what my dad was doing and knew, you know, knew he had a gallery, but didn't realize the cultural importance until, you know, coming and helping for that whole week during the Peter Weird exhibit and yeah. helping do the installations. I mean, we had, I've never seen an installation like that, even to this day. I mean, it was floor to ceiling, wall to wall. There wasn't a square inch that didn't have a picture. In and the some gallery. of those prints were massive, huge, massive. huge, which yeah. at the time to think about, you know, a silver gelatin that was that big, but then also had work on it. I mean, it was just, it was monumental. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was just, what really, you know, it just, it, it dawned on me seeing how many people were coming through and how many people were excited. And of course there was, you know, celebrities and people of, of note and, and worth. But I think the thing that was the most impactful was just seeing how excited people were to meet Peter. Yeah. You know, and have a conversation with Peter and then really understanding Peter's history and his lineage and, you know, what he was doing and how excited that made people got me, you know, excited at a young age too. And I mean, even to this day, that's, you know, of course we have to sell things to stay open yeah. and 
do all that stuff. But really, the most exciting thing is just talking to people and seeing how excited they get about looking at pictures. Yeah, Peter Beard, that show to me was interesting because when I showed up, literally there were like people standing in the slow lane on La Brea and then and then in the middle lane. And I, th- I don't remember if I'm making this up or if it happened, but I think LAPD had to come and like there was oh, yeah. traffic control, yeah, yeah, which yeah. I've never seen before. For an opening. But it was but it was very apparent to me that there was this was about art. It was about photography. It was about this flamboyant guy. But there was this other level of when you combine all those parts that it becomes something than the, more than the sum of the parts. And I it was like a cultural experience. Well, that's yeah, that's what I was going to say, too, is it's you know, it was it was at a time when artists were just starting to become celebrities. And Peter really, really kind of was the full circle of that. You know, his whole kind of history of growing up babysitting the Kennedys, you know, is like grandfather invented the tuxedo. But, you know, it's like before, you know, I mean, I'm sure most of what I'm saying could be wrong or could be right, depending on who's listening to this. But, you know, before that, the idea of an artist being a celebrity wasn't something that was as popular of of a thought. You know, artists were thought to be these people who, lived in solitude and, you know, got their credit once they'd been dead for 200 years kind of a thing. And, you know, with Peter, but also with Herb and, you know, a whole bunch of other people, you know, you saw people wanting to be around these people. And it was, it was something that struck me as like being incredibly human, you know, in the sense of like, these people were shaman to, you know, this whole group of people. They were people who were thinking and talking about new ideas, but it wasn't necessarily new ideas that were totally original and different. It was a collective consciousness that everybody was thinking about, but just nobody really knew how to say, and they were saying it visually. That that was the interesting thing to me because Beard had this reputation, and he definitely lived up to the reputation in a lot of ways. And he had Cheryl Teagues, you know, married sure. Cheryl Teagues, and he was this, this kid from a privileged background who ends up in Africa in the 50s and timed it absolutely unbelievably well. But the thing that really got overlooked to me and it wasn't until I saw a show by Franz Lanting that I, it really reminded me was Peter, Peter Beard's work with conservation with yeah. African elephants. Yeah. And, and because he was such a flamboyant guy, I don't think he ever really got the credit for that. And I, Franz Lanting, for those of you who don't know, is like one of the premier wildlife photographers that's ever walked the earth. And very smart, very serious dude. And I went to a lecture of his one time years ago, and it was about the history of conservation photography and wildlife photography. And the, and I was like, I don't want to sit through this because yeah. it's not my favorite kind of thing. And the first 15 to 20 minutes were about Peter Beard. And I was like, holy shit, I kind of even overlooked that myself. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, exactly, totally true of what you're saying. It was this thing of, you know, he was, I guess, weirdly like exposing the kind of hypocrisy of that early environmentalism. You know, he yeah. was taking pictures of dead elephants and dead zebras and all of this stuff where you had all these people in, in the States in the 70s who were like, oh, I'm going to donate money. I'm going to put money in over there. But they really weren't following that money or understanding what that money was. And yeah. basically, for people who, who don't know, you know, they were basically herding up all these elephants and putting them on these little parcels of land that people had bought. So instead of the elephants and all these animals being able to roam all of Africa like they had been for hundreds of thousands of years, they were being put in these little parks. And it ravaged these animals, you know, I mean, thousands died, thousands starved. I mean, it's like, and if you are familiar with these images, you know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. The elephants basically, and what they did was they, it brought up the idea of having to cull or kill elephants, you know, purposely going out and culling the herd. And you had people like, that's how on earth could we possibly do that? But when you pen them up and take away their food supply, that's the humane way. And so Peter got in a small plane and flew over and has these pictures when an elephant basically starves to death it falls on its side, but it keeps walking in a circle, and it, we, and it created these unbelievably powerful, uh, macabre, yeah. basically death scenes. And uh, it was, it was, he's such a blend of like, uh, of work like that combined with fashion and all these yeah. and art and journaling and sort of this craziness that goes along with him. But today, I look at a lot of the conservation stuff today, and I'm like, it's a direct result, a direct lineage of Beard, even though he's probably never going to get credit for that. No. But it's very much, um, very much there. Yeah, and it was, I mean, it's just a realness that so many, and there's so much of that in his work where it's, you know, it's a realness of a time and a moment that people are, you know, so often just want to put, put paint a pretty picture over it, you know, so they yeah. can kind of get what they want and, you know, get the message that they want across as opposed to, you know, really showing the reality of the situation. So. Well, and I think there's something that I want to talk about in a minute, which is very much a uh, case in point with him. Uh, I, I am a huge stickler. Probably people are probably sick of hearing me talk about this, but I think photography in the, photography has changed a lot in the yeah. last, let's say since you were 14, 
shooting the Peter Beard show. And today yeah. it's changed a lot. Oh, yeah. And it's changed in some ways that are better and it's changed in some ways that aren't. But one of the things to me that still it's one of the only things that a photographer can do that has value is make original work. Sure. And Peter Beard, you can see from 100 miles away, you're like, that's a Peter Beard. Yeah. And so when you look for artists at the gallery or artists in general or to publish something, what part of that originality? And that's where when I see Beard's work on Africa, it's immediately recognizable. A lot of the projects today that are happening aren't. Nick, yeah. Nick Brandt has a project that's recognizable. I think his work is as well. But a lot of them that are in, operating in that space maybe kind of all look that have that Instagrammy looking sure. feel and it's like okay we, we get saturated so what what part of the process is originality when it comes to looking at somebody as like as an artist in general I mean it's it's got to be kind of an emotional response I think in a lot of ways you know like like you were saying there's so many people doing so many things that are similar and and not to say that that's a bad thing because there's something definitely to be said for collective consciousness and you know working through ideas as a whole kind of human race but yeah, I mean, for me, it's got to be emotional. It's got to be exciting. It's got to be something that gets me moving and gets me, you know, interacting and, and has to have a bunch of different touch points, you know, as opposed to just like, oh, that's a pretty picture of a, of a girl or that's a pretty picture of an animal. But it's like, why? What? You know, how? Yeah, what's the story? What's the story? You know, how can I, you know, how can I communicate that too? And how can I communicate a story with these images? Because like for me. You know, social, you know, social media is something that nev that didn't start with Friendster or MySpace or anything like that. It started with us sitting around a campfire talking about what berries to eat and what berries not to eat. <laughs> you know, it's a it's an intrinsically human thing to share these stories. So for me, it's you know, I, I find that you know the best work kind of and the, you know the projects I want to do kind of show themselves over time because I find myself talking about these projects more and more and I find myself yeah. <clears throat> sharing with people about these and that's when I know it's a great project when it's you know had a you know, four to six week time period to kind of percolate through my brain. And if I'm still talking about it four to six weeks later until and still excited about it and telling people about it, it's definitely something I'm going to do. Okay. So what changed for you when you went from prior to working at the gallery yeah. to working at the gallery? Because I can only imagine, and this is the point in the interview where I have to say, Hey, can I have a show? And yeah. you say, no. <laughs> um, so I have to get that out of the way. Uh, but but I can't imagine because every single photographer I know is trying to get in what they 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 think they're trying to get in the photo art world, but sure. what they really want to do is get into the art world yeah. through the photo world. Yeah. But Lem, you have a giant bullseye on anyone who works or even comes in this building has a has a bullseye. Has anything changed for you in that regard? I mean, are people like coming after you and saying, Nick, hey man, we've been oh, buddies? Of course. Yeah, one hundred percent. You know, and it's you know, and it's weird too because it's like people even people I've worked for in the past, you know, like old bosses are coming back at me and been like, Hey, what's uh when you wanna take a look at this? And you know, I've you know, definitely have my my things that I I say to deflect. But I mean, you know, I've got a list of hundred and sixty artists that I'm looking at right now. And these are not currently represented. But, that are not currently represented yeah, okay. by the gallery. You know, I mean, like I, you know, just. Are, are these people you're following or people who've just first contact, hey, look at my work? All, all different. Most of them are people that I've, I've, you know, there's, I have a whole separate list of people who have contacted me. And then, but there's my personal list of just people I'm excited about and people I'm looking at is, yeah, like 150 to 100. And where am people. I on the 160? <laughs> right at the top. <laughs> Because it, it, that's the thing is it, I, I can't imagine uh, walking through the world with with that that sort of because it's a, it's a target. Do you even are you going to go to photo festivals anymore? Are you oh just yeah, yeah. Hide? I love it. It's great. But it, but it's also I've, it's you know it, it hasn't been from zero to sixty. You know it's something that I've I guess have dealt with since like my first photography classes. You know yeah. and having a teacher kind of I mean. I can't, yeah, I feel so bad for anybody who had me as a student because, you know, they'd be in a lecture and say X, Y, and Z, and I'd raise my hand and say, well, actually, no, I, I know that person, and that, they told me this, you know, and, and it was just... <laughs> yeah, I, they'd yeah. be like, no, it all can't. Yeah, exactly, yeah. get out of here kind of a thing. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, it's it's something that I guess I don't know any differently, and, you know, it's just something that, and, and it's something I enjoy, too, because it just means that... I get to see so much more stuff and I get to see people's passion for stuff too, which is, I think, one of the most exciting things for me. Well, I think there's something interesting. There's multiple interesting things about you, but the fact is you studied photography, so mm -hmm. you loved it enough to go through that process yeah. and study it. And but I started in theater and I, you know, I kind of went through this thing of, you know, you, you go through wanting to, in theater, you're, you're practicing to be an icon, you're practicing to be seen and to be these characters. And then it got to a point where I realized that 
I had way more fun making these characters and making these icons and, and you know, thinking about that practice. It's, there's something different though when suddenly it's not, you're not promoting your own work. You're, yeah. you're promoting other people. And I'm sure that there's an upside to that and then a pressure side because people are like, you know, my God, I gotta, I gotta make it, I gotta make yeah. it. But what is it about, you have to, and anybody that t talks to me about getting into photography now, the first thing that I tell them is you have to want it more than anything yeah. you've ever wanted in your life, Absolutely. which was true when I came up, but not nearly what it is now, yeah. because now it's way more, way more difficult. 100%. What is it about, the, about imagery that, that really put the hooks in you? I mean, it was, I mean, I have like a, you know, typical bit, I guess, that I say that I'll say. Um, but, you know, it's that thing of humans have been commu communicating with symbols longer than we've been communicating with the, the languages that we have today. And I think it's... Oh, so you're going to go history on Yeah, that, huh? totally. Yeah, you DNA. know, it's, it's that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is, it is yeah. I think, a fundamental part of human DNA to create pictures and communicate with pictures and symbols. And, you know, I mean... I mean, you think about kids picking up crayons and they're and they're drawing and they're yeah. interacting with stuff at such a young age, and they're not taught to do that, you know. And so there's just definitely something that's intrinsically human. And I think that's fundamentally what it boils down to is that it's it's this communication. And I love people and I love hanging out with people and talking to people. And, yeah. and part of that means you know I love seeing what gets people excited. And that's what I love. I mean, one of the things I love about the gallery here is you know, and to go back to your story in the beginning. You know, people come in and they ask, you know, how much does it cost to, to see the show? And, you know, you know, fundamentally right away, they don't often yeah. go to galleries. Yeah. This isn't where sure. they're used to being yeah. and they're stepping out of their circle. And that, for me, lights me up because it's, it's it's you know, I get somebody, it's it's somebody that's going to be excited about imagery and somebody who doesn't, who who is has a fresh point of view and I can yeah. take around the gallery and show them these pictures and see what they react to and why they react to it and what stories they tell me and what stories that sparks for me to tell them. And, you know, that's what gets me excited about pictures is just that kind of human connection that everybody can have. Pictures seem to be a good entryway for people who, who are interested in the arts, yeah. who maybe are a little intimidated by the art world that yeah. think I can go into the photo gallery. And how cool is it to walk in and, and like me, thinking I'm Crocodile Dundee, to have, the, to have the owner of the gallery go, hey, come on in. Sure. That was such a monumental thing for me to like to go into galleries. And now I'm totally jaded because if I don't get that same <laughs> response in like all these other galleries, I'm like, all right, assholes. Yeah. I'm never coming back here. Yeah. But also photography is amazing and it's that one-to-one -one, you know, transfer of imagery. So... You don't have to have this deep art history background. You don't have to, you know, understand and know these traditions. You can just react fundamentally as a human and react. And that's, you know, the beauty. I mean, if you think about it, photography is so young. I mean, it's, what, yeah. 200 years old? And think how much it's changed our world. Yeah, like even in the last 18 months. Even in the last 18 <laughs> months, yeah. And so we're at... We're just we're just scraping the surface of how impactful this art form is going to be for the development of humanity into the future. Do you remember the first photographer or or, or image or body of work that you saw that you, that made you kind of go, "Wow, I I haven't really felt this." I, I remember when it happened to me. Yeah. What the image was. Well, I mean, I don't I I don't really even I don't know if I could say that because I grew up with so much oh, great yeah. stuff in the house. You yeah. Know? So yeah. as as a kid and as an as you know, it was always there and it was always this thing. I think the things that were... That's got to be a trip to like just get used to those things sure. on the wall. Well, yeah. I think the biggest trip was when I started, you know, bringing friends over and we were at an age where we could really understand and talk about those things. And that's, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old, you know, and I think that was one of the things that was so interesting for me was to bring people over and, you know be hanging out with my friend that I'm going to Catholic school with. And, you know, their parents have like Thomas Kincaid paintings and my dad has Witkins, you know? And so it was just kind of like having to, and even at that young age, I fundamentally understood the importance of Witkin and what he was doing with the art history tradition and why it was great. And so it was just such a weird experience to then as like an 11 or 12 year old be trying to explain that to, you know, somebody in the sixth and seventh grade. Yeah, they probably just said your dad's really weird. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, totally. the, I can only imagine what, you know, friends was saying, you know, behind my back about like, dude, did you see all the naked people <laughs> at Nick's house? Like, you know. You suddenly there's like 20 friends over. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. I got to give a shout out to New Mexico because Whitkin lives south of Albuquerque. Yeah. So my, my New Mexico peeps, I uh, got to give a shout out to them if you could dream scenario sure. i come to you i go look money is no option uh, no object um you can do anything you want in the gallery world what what would be first of all the what would you change about the gallery world and then sure. how would how would you set up like the ultimate scenario for people to engage with fahey klein 
Um, or your whatever gallery you decided to create. I mean, really, it would be it would be figuring out kind of a digital solution for all this, you know, in the sense of pre I, in pre presentation in digitally. Pre in presentation, you know, I think the thing is that um, the the thing that fundamentally hinders us is is the fact that there's only so many of these prints, you know, and right. only so many people can walk in the door, and only so many people can open these books, you know, and that's and that's a big thing for me, you know, that the books are such a huge part of the educational process of this, and without that educational understanding, what so and so said and did, it's it's hard to you know keep pushing that art art form forward. So for me. I mean, and I've already done various versions of this. I've created an app called Artbook Apps that then became an app called Pictora. But the, the kind of the fundamental basis of it was finding these rare, expensive books and digitizing them, putting them onto an iPad. But, but beyond that of, you know, just having access to these things, I was then pushing them to your television at home. So you then could have a Wicked show or have a Beard show in your living room kind of a thing, because I think that... That's interesting. Yeah, I think that's I think that's important for people to see. You know, it's that's I mean, it's like how do you know that truffle salt is amazing unless you've had it? You know, kind of a thing. And I feel the same way with imagery. You know, how do you know a Peter Beard is amazing? How do you know, you know, oh, oh Dan Winters or you know something like that is amazing unless you see it and experience it. And yes, of course, you know, I'm sure everybody's ruffling in their seats, going, you know, the digital and the physical. You know, there's no comparison. And I agree 100. percent But you know, it's like but My, that but you bring up a really interesting point because imagine if you had imagine let's say that you're you're really into art and photography and you you buy into I'm making all this up of course you buy into a, a projection system at your house let's yeah. say let's say let's licensed by MoMA mm -hmm. or Fahey Klein or whatever and then you license an exhibition for a single night yeah. where you have an event at your house and you actually do get to experiment experience this thing that you're having for, and and it goes away at the end of the night you've licensed it for one night yep. and then it goes back and it can be all and you, imagine the, the places in the world where you could put the work into that will never happen with uh and exactly. i'm like the most traditional guy ever i have a 50 year old camera about to use in a minute <laughs> but that's a really intriguing thing yeah and because, i mean and also having the artists sit there and talk through it as well too you know the idea of how often do you actually get to experience an exhibition with the person that was creating it absolutely you know it's such a rare instance and it's and that's so important and imagine being able to have that artist potentially with not only not there in person, but or potentially in person, but but uh, coming in electronically as well. And you're getting basically a unique. I mean, imagine what Peter Beard is like on a Monday. Yeah. And then he does another one on a Friday yeah. and you're going to get you could get a totally different. It's going to be a unique experience. Absolutely. The one thing to me that's always not bothered me, but it's always been it's like one of the limitations is and I heard a great quote by I think he's the director of the Latin American Museum in Long Beach. And he was interviewed on NPR and he said, people who go to nightclubs don't often go to museums and people who go to museums don't go to nightclubs, but they both come to my museum because I've created this, this environment. And yeah. galleries to me, there are so many people who aren't in photography, who aren't in the arts world that would be so amazing to, to couple with this world yeah. that don't go because they're, they think, well, I'm not a gallery person. Exactly. That would be a fun thing to change, and that's and that's exactly what I hope that would change. Is you know, and that's and you bring up such a great point where it's and you know it's it's not about being a gallery person. I mean, it's about being human. It's like how it's looking at symbols, looking yeah. at these images, participating with the world in a, in a greater capacity, kind of a thing. And I, I I love that. You know, I love that idea, and I love you know just and that's my dad and I talk about that all the time. Is you know how do you get new people in here? Because yeah, I mean. You know, the art world has grown so much. The photo world's grown so much in the past 15, 20 years. And, but, but, you know, the amount of cult, like the amount of the big collectors that really support the system yeah. and support those galleries haven't grown as fast as the art world kind of a thing. So, you're, you know, we're now competing with more galleries and, you know, more spaces to kind of sell the same amount of work. So it's right. always an important thing for the business to bring in people who traditionally didn't collect art and, you know, kind of get them excited about collecting art. And I'm working on a really, you know, not random project, but, you know, a similar project right now where I'm actually making a, a art history book on glass pipes and bongs. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about yeah. that. And because you... a second ago, you transitioned into books maybe slicker than anyone that I've, <laughs> that I've been. I was like, I was like, that's perfect. I don't have to say anything. Now it doesn't sound like it's the book guy. So, yeah, yeah we're going to talk. We're going to talk about that. But yeah. also 
Collecting is a really good point because yeah. collecting photography oftentimes is cheaper or less expensive yes. than collecting artwork. And then if to, to the entryway into that oftentimes is the book. Yeah. And I remember I was at the Palm Springs Festival a couple of years ago. I was sitting by myself. It was kind of dusk. I was at Karakia. And I, I saw your dad come out and he looked over from a distance and he saw him and he came beelining over to me. And he, <laughs> well, he, he didn't even say hello. He just goes, you should really be collecting. Yeah. You know, collecting is about investing and it's a way of like, you know, and he basically was, was talking about uh, my future. Sure. Just as a way of saying, hey, man, like you should, you know, how come you're not collecting? And, Absolutely. And it, of course, I think about it all the time. And I have a collection, but not like, you know, what's sitting behind you. So there are varying, <laughs> varying levels of that. Of course. But let's talk a little bit about books. Sure. So to to our to my left, your right is a. I thought I had a wall of books. This is a massive oh, yeah. wall of books, and it's just one of them. Yeah, I can imagine. What part in the process does the book, the photo book, the monograph play in your life and, and so for these important. artists? I mean, it's so 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 important. We have so many artists coming in here, and you know, the the first question I ask anybody when they're talking about doing a show or anything like that is like, have you, have you done a book? You know, I think, and cause you know, a lot of the way that we think about collecting is it's a pyramid, you know, of a, of a series of work that you're doing a monograph, you know, five to 10 of those are going to sell out and do really, really well. And then you kind of, you know, as you go down that pyramid, it's, it's, you know, one or two here, one or two there, but really the, the thing that's supporting and holding all that up is the book. Is the book. Yeah. And it's, it's such an important thing for so many reasons. One, it kind of lets, the collecting world and and the dealers know that it's kind of a, it's a finished project. It's it's you know legitimized. It's, it's legitimized. It's it has its life and it now can be reflected upon as opposed to trying to interact with it while it's still figuring itself out. Um, you know, but it, and it also just from a pure sales retail point of view is amazing as well too. You know, we have Dan Winters. The show we have up right now is a perfect example. We've got about twenty pictures in this exhibition. But then he has a book with you know a hundred pictures. Yeah. So for us, it gives us a, a more of a, more opportunity to sell, more opportunities to interact with people, and just kind of keep people looking, um, which is really important in sales. Well, we were talking about <clears throat> Dan Winters earlier, the show, which is the show that's up right now, and how what a what a basically, I'm trying to figure out how to describe him. He's very unlike. Yeah. He's a very unique dude. He's a maker. And so when you read, he did a book called Road to Seeing, and when you see it and you immediately open it, you go, okay, this is not your normal yeah. dude. And so a show, like coming out here and looking at these images on the wall, it just makes you want to go and go, okay, now I really want to know about this guy. And that's yeah. where the book like unfolds his entire life. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, he's one of those people that I consider to be a shaman. You know, he's somebody who's figuring out life. He's He's working through these problems, working through these things, and he's using photography to kind of record that and to help communicate those thoughts with other people and distill them down. That brings up a, a good question. So when I, I was telling you earlier, I got to spend a little time with him last year. And when I told, I told my wife, I said, I don't even really classify him as a photographer anymore because he's so knowledgeable and talented yeah. in all these other areas. And one of the things that Peter Beard said years ago that always stuck with me was he said, you've got to be more than a photographer. Yeah. So for the, for the artists that you were representing, a lot of these people, they are more than just a person who presses the button. Yeah. To the collectors out there, how important is that in the process of saying, I'm not only collecting f I'm photographs, I'm collecting objects from this from an entity, not just a, yes. another photographer. Exactly. And I mean, collection collectors, in, in my opinion, and I'm sure there's some that'll disagree with me, but you know, the, I think you said it great. They're collecting parts of those people. You know, they want to collect those stories and that, and, and it's a way for them to participate in that person's life. And I think that's so important. And, and the smart collectors understand that. And the smart collectors get that by collecting, they are putting value on these experiences in a way that society in a larger sense can understand with monetary value. But, you know, these people are, I mean, they're not, I mean, yes, people are collecting for investment, but you're collecting at first because you believe in it, because you're excited about it mm -hmm. and because it's something that you want to be a part of, you know, and I think, Herb Ritz was a great example of that. You know, it was that time where, you know, people were saying commerce is an art, you know, that's just a magazine cover, but people were, you know, wanting to be a part of that beauty and wanting to be a part of that celebrity. And by collecting these things, they got to, you know, have Herb live with them and have Herb be a part of their life. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, that's really a, a good point. I mean, I think when, when you get to the high level and people are collecting your work, you can, you can look at an image and say, that's that's with so and so in Germany, and that's in and that's in Asia. And when you walk into a location where one of your pieces is on the wall, you realize 
that it's not just about me giving you money for this piece of paper that's hanging on the wall. It's yeah. a whole different thing. It's a whole story. I mean, it's a whole interaction. And I mean, I think that's, you know, going back to that whole social media thing, so much of what I enjoy doing is, you know, telling these stories to collectors and so that the, the collectors can repeat those stories and keep yeah. that on and keep those stories on and keep that energy alive. I mean, I had a di- I was doing dinner series for a while where I was connecting young artists and young collectors. And, you know, it's such a hard thing for a young collector to kind of pony up a bunch of money for a print, especially for a younger artist that yeah. they don't even know if, hey, in five years, is this guy even going to still be taking pictures? Right. But what I was doing was having these dinner parties where I'd, you know, do an hour lecture with me and the artist, and then you'd sit down and break bread with the artist, you know, no more than 15 or 20 people. And it was just so amazing for people. You could see how excited people were to have that conversation with that artist, listen to that story, and then hear them repeat that story at later times. I mean, that was the most successful thing for me, you know, was knowing that that artists, what that artist was excited and passionate about transferred over to other people in such a way that they were excited and passionate and wanted to talk about it. And I think that's, you know, one of the best things art can do. The dinners that you're talking about, I never went to one of those, but I remember getting your emails and saying, this is something that we should have had. This is, this should have been going down in LA from the beginning. Yeah. But it's a difficult thing to do. Yeah. I mean, are you it, it, on the surface? You go, this is going to be amazing, but the amount of work that's required. It's but a lot of work, yeah. To me, and one of the reasons why I'm sitting here today is because those dinners, even though I never went to one, I was like, this is somebody who's really doing something different. Because again, you have to want it more than anything. Yeah. On the surface, it goes, what? You just have dinner and you talk to a guy, but yeah. it's way more than that. And so, um, are you going to resurrect those at any point? I think so. You know, it's been a year of kind of getting my feet situated and settled here and I had a whole other life of all these other projects and all these other industries that I was working in that I kind of had to you know finish finish over the past year and you know kind of finish didn't get done so that I can kind of focus here and you know get situated but yeah I definitely want to start doing these dinners here again did you do them here no I did them all over LA so I did them in these like weird speakeasy restaurants and like weird underground locations like all over the place (laughs) that were like kind of spooky I think for certain people where they're like I'm gonna park my car on the street like yeah are you kidding me um but you know having this venue I think is is definitely going to open that up and be great. And it's also, you know, it's also the thing too where it's like I didn't want to come in here and slam on the brakes for everybody else and be like we're doing this now, you know, yeah. kind of a yeah. thing. Um so, you know, it's just over time slowly. Look, I don't yeah. care. I don't care if you never invite me. I'm <laughs> I'm giving 100% saying you should re- resurrect it yeah. because first of all, LA needs it. Yeah. The photo world needs it. And it is such a critical part of the equation that's missing is yeah. to make those connections. Yes. So I'm not going to be any help, but I'm awesome. telling you that you should do it. Maybe find some sponsors for me or something I, like that. Look, I'll more than more than help try to find some sponsors. Uh, yeah. So I want to weasel back to books a second. Sure. There's been a million changes in publishing in the last yeah. 10 or 15 years. Oh, man. Um, before we talk about the bong book, sure. is I want to talk about art mags, yeah. art zines, sure. art books that are different from a monograph. Of course. And how do you, what's your view on them? And how do you, do they work for artists, even really well-established people? I mean, um, I definitely think that there's a place for them and, and, um, but I don't, I don't think they should replace the monograph. Um, but you know, like, like I was saying earlier, you know, it, it's, a, it's a way to finish a project. It's a way to exercise your practice. And I think the zine is so incredibly important because not everybody has 30 grand to go spend to right. publish a book, you know, yeah. hardcover, all that stuff. But everybody should be trying to communicate within that linear page after page, you know, yeah. equation kind of a thing because it's 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 a practice. It's how people read information and it's something that people should be practicing. Um I, I love zines. I, I love that. I love that they're great. The thing that always bothers me is just they're never taken, not from the artist point of view, but just afterwards, they ne- they're never taken care of the way that they should be. You know, yeah, and, it, and or it's collected collected the way they should be, and it's less it's less from the you know that's it's more of a knock on the collectors than the artists, where people and it's an interesting thing with art right now. You know, if you have people excited about being a part of the art world and collecting art, but they're still figuring out what that is and what it means to be a collector and what it means to to own something and take care of it for 30, 40, 50 years. So you know? I read that Dado Moriyama did mm-hmm. a, a Xerox, sure. a folded Xerox that sells for 40 grand. Wow. So it was one of the original publications he ever did. And to your point, I think you're exactly right. I think especially with, with the older generations, even my generation and up, 
and people who are established, they don't look at zines in the same way. Yeah. And they go, oh, this is like a, tr-, you know, oh, it's cool. And then they toss it aside. Yeah. But the interesting thing is that the really young photographers that I find in the zine communities. So in the past year, I've been at zine events pretty much in Europe and U- U.S., Australia, et cetera. They are rabid. Yes. And the L.A. Art Book Fair. Oh, my gosh. Those collect those little circles. That of, place is a circus. It's incredible. Yeah. And all the different range of publications. So I think, actually, we're headed in a, in a great I direction. Yeah. I think that those are going to be more and more collected and yes. taken more seriously. One, two, because to your point, I don't have 30 grand laying around yeah. to do a book, nor do I really have the time and, and the desire. And you finally have people like Printed Matter who are, who are elevating that, you know, kind Absolutely. of medium and taking it to a place where, you know, they're saying, hey, hold on to these and take care of these because they're valuable. But also on a larger a larger. Th- thought you know it is so amazing that this younger generation of artists has access to be able to do this you know think about 50 years ago i mean you couldn't make a xerox book you couldn't do you could you could only think about the the book was like the end of your career (laughs) yeah totally it was the end it was the end it was the the monograph it was a culmination you know and it was this like yeah it was the it was the, the the sprinkles and the cherry on top of your sunday and so but but it's but like we were saying it's a language to put that you know, pagination together to put that story together. So it's so important for young artists to be making books and making zines because they're getting to practice that language. They're getting to practice how to put that together from beginning to end. Uh, In 1995, I made my first trip to New York as a photographer to show work. And I left New York with on a mission to make my own book because I realized that they were not looking at my work the way that I wanted them to look at it. So I was working at a newspaper. I went back to the the design department of the newspaper and said, I want to make my own book. This was 1994. 495 and they said it's impossible yeah and they were like you can't make your own book and i was like i can i think i can do it so i did one page at a time and then i would drive 27 miles to a reaper graphics house that had a high school kid in the back who was their computer kid yes and he was like i i don't really know how to do this but we printed it one page at a time and laminated and bound it and i made a book and so but you're absolutely right you have look at what alex soth is doing basically in in a garage in minnesota he to me has almost single-handedly taken the, the 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 basically the the roots of the publishing industry and shaken them because everything he does sells out and is collected yeah. and it's not necessarily highbrow publications. I mean the guy does such a range of publication it's really astounding. I love what he's doing. And so that to me is a really is a positive thing. Obviously I print and make books all the time myself, probably probably too many, but you know, we'll we'll let that slide. Sure. Okay. Let's get on to the glass pipe, <laughs> glass pipe and bong, and just it's a book about the history of glass pipes and bongs. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Um. You know, it's something. It was. It's kind of one of those things that, like I was saying earlier, it was. Um. I weirdly moonlighted in the cannabis industry for a little while. Had an ad agency called Summer Space Camp, so we were doing logos, branding, all of that kind of stuff for the industry. And I okay. went to school in Northern California, and, you know. I make the joke. Is there is there any weed is there any, in Northern yeah, exactly. California? I make the joke that all my friends either became weed growers or wine growers, yeah, or, you know, or winemakers. Not bad options. Not bad options at all. And yeah, it's it's always great visiting them. Yeah. Um, but it was, you know, obviously in California and the entire West Coast and Colorado, cannabis is. Yeah, it's here to stay. It's here to stay, and with it here to stay, you know, there's all these other cultural elements and all these things that are kind of peripheral and. You know, I mean, like, I worked in a head shop in, like, 2001, 2002 when they had this thing called Pipe Dreams where the DEA more or less shut down the entire industry. And so it was an interesting thing to see. And even back then, looking at these pieces, the super high-end, you know, elaborate ones that we were selling for, you know, 800 to $1,200, I mean, they were art. You look at them and yeah. you're like, this is, I mean, yes, it's craftsmanship, but also at the same time, there's someone with an original idea that they're trying to interact with and, you know figure out and work through and it's not them by themselves they're creating this for a larger community that wants these things um and then you know i went off and lived my life and did a whole bunch of other stuff and once i did the ad agency i met uh, a group of people who had a you know more or less a glass collecting crew or group you know they were dealers of glass and started just talking to them and asking questions and and learning and really learning that there's such a history that's happened in the past 15, 20 years. I mean, it was 20 years ago where they just started making the borosilicate colored glasses and all this technology allowed them to do all these different colors um, and all, you know, which then allowed all these different pieces to happen. But the thing I think that really sunk in the hooks for me the most was learning that, you know, you had Venetian glass blowers 
come you know coming from a two three thousand year old tradition going to the pacific northwest to learn how to blow glass from some dmt smoking hippie that you know has been doing it for 10 or 15 years (laughs) you know and it's this thing of like equality yeah but it was you know you know it really made me think like wow these guys are actually doing something and it weird it's so weirdly mimicked photography in its early days for me as well too you know in that sense of you know you've got a group of people who are so passionate about an art form that they don't care about the traditional art world you know they don't care that people don't call them artists they are doing it for themselves yeah. and for they you just know, the make pe- work they just make work you know there's this great there's this great movie called degenerate art and you know i think it's like a patchouli you know patchouli type character talking to these bong makers and going hey if you just didn't make it a bong you could sell this at my gallery for (laughs) tens of thousands of dollars and they look at him like he's crazy and they say but if i didn't make it a bong i'd be saying you know screw you to the people who supported me for the past 15 years and it was just so amazing for me to see that these guys were you know willing to just dump you know this kind of entry and and invitation into the art world because they're because they didn't want to leave the community behind you know and that was so important to me and you know but with that said you know these guys are now selling these pieces for 25 grand on the primary market to you know 125 grand on the secondary market for a pipe for for a pipe wow yeah and this isn't it you know and this isn't a hundred year old vintage sculpture this is something that you know it's vintage for this community right at 10 years old 15 years old but um yeah it was just so amazing and of course you know you've got the whole thing where you know obviously the, the market's going to get driven up because of the people who are in this world you know the growers and the extraction artists and the people with this disposable income but you know and and yes it is a status symbol for them but it is also just so exciting for me to see a community of people support their community and be excited for each other. Well, it's just interesting that it's like it's not something. I mean, I've driven by ten thousand head shops in my sure. life. I've you know seen a million pipes over the years. I never really you never. It's one of those things you don't think that there's a whole community revolving around this and yeah. that there's a depth to it that you don't you don't perceive. How is the book of this material coming about? Is this is there a publisher involved, or are you just doing the legwork now? Um, we're doing the legwork now. We did a Kickstarter and raised okay. um, over thirty five grand. So we had wow. an, we had an amazing support from the community. And one of the things that was so I mean, we did that with one hundred and eleven supporters. Wow, so, thirty five grand. Thirty five grand, yeah. And one of the things that we were doing was we were actually selling artwork through oh, okay. the Kickstarter. So yeah. we're, you know, hey, if you donate 5000 or 2500 you get a pendant from this artist. Okay, kind of a cool. Thing. Yeah, yeah. So it was a great opportunity for, you know, and that pendant would be, you know, six grand on the primary market. Right. So, you know, you're, you know, we basically gave a lot of yeah, these guys a deal. That's fantastic. Yeah. And so now, you know, we have um, a couple people that are interested in kind of helping us with the project and we have, you know, distributors that are into it, but we're just kind of getting it done first. I mean, yeah. as you know, the whole book market is such a crazy weird place now. I mean, one of the things that's kind of exciting about this project is the fact that, you know, I have more venues to sell this book within, you know, glass shops and dispensaries than I do within traditional bookstores in California. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, yeah. and so it's it's this kind of thing. And, and a lot of what I've been thinking about, too, with the book world is, you know, how to take the book world outside of itself and, you know, make it part of the world. You yeah. Know? I mean, as you, as you know, within that book market, you know, so much of the large part of the book market is that gifting market. You know, Christmas time, you see yeah, Urban Outfitters, yep. you know, they've got a table of books, all these different things. So it's yep. taking, you know, taking it out of a place where you only see, you know, a inch and a half spine to, you know, a place where it can be promoted as that kind of lifestyle. And also what's exciting for me is, you know, really helping – raise up the cannabis community you know everybody you know you think about pot you think about spicoli and you know bill one of my all-time favorite characters right you know but i mean our past what three sitting presidents have all admitted to smoking cannabis yeah so you know it's like i see them on the cover of something and why are people not you know giving it that treatment as opposed to you know hey you don't know what you're talking about you're a stoner but it's like i'm sorry some of the most successful people in the world yeah. Openly admit smoking cannabis. Well, I think it's an interesting time because obviously, I'm I'm 47. I think the first time I saw pot was probably in elementary school. Sure. You know, and I lived, and then in middle school was definitely there. Um, but now, the, just the dialogue that's happening, and I think with the legalization, and I think now it's coming up on the ballot here. We're, we're looking. There's more and more and more. The reality is, it's been around 
the entire time. So it's not like it's come out of nowhere here. But for me, I never really, I was never, I never smoked pot. I was never really into pot. And I got Lyme disease about, I don't know, almost four years ago now. And I, and Lyme disease really wiped me out. And I was trying to, it took, and I'm still not 100%. So I'm trying everything. I took antibiotics for two years, three antibiotics twice a day for two years. And uh, I'm, you know, I never, I would never do that again. I would do the intravenous kind of thing. And so as I'm learning, I get to, I go through one Lyme doctor, two Lyme doctors. I get to a third Lyme doctor and I walk in and she looks at me and she goes, why aren't you using CBD? Yeah. And I was like, I don't know what that is. Yeah. And so she said, read the, the cover story in the National Geographic. And so I read that and I thought, well, uh, okay. And so I, and I, I'm a total pot novice. So I, I was like, I don't know how this works. Am sure. I going to get arrested? Is it illegal <laughs> for me to get it? And she's like, no, I'll give you this paper. They come to the house and they deliver it. So they did. And within literally within five minutes of using it for the first time at that time, in the first time in about two and a half years, I literally felt something That's snap amazing. in my brain. That's amazing. And I was clear yeah. for the first time in two and a half years. And to be cognitive, to have cognitive issues and to be unclear yeah. is the most disconcerting feeling you can possibly have. It so far outweighs any physical problem that I had. And it was really, really wearing on me. Yeah. And all of a sudden it was like snap and my brain was back. And yeah. I thought, you know, what's interesting to me was. I can go into a pharmacy and get two years of antibiotics, huh. and no one, no one says anything. No one bats an eyelashes. Or you can get a hundred <laughs> pills of opiates, or you know. But to get CBD, I felt like I was going to get jacked yeah. any second. And then I did an event up in Seattle, and I rem- and I got off the plane, and I was like, "Oh, pot's legal here." And so I went to a dispensary to get CBD while I was in Seattle, and I got it. And as I turned around to leave the dispensary, my brain is thinking, I got to hide it, and yeah. I've got to like somehow yeah. get back to the hotel. And the girl behind the counter started laughing, and she goes, it's legal. Yeah, she can see <laughs> she it in your eyes. She can just see the fear yeah. in my, my eyes. So that's interesting. What do you think, what's the ultimate goal with the book and the project? Um, you know, it's just to give... It's, it's just to kind of give the glass world their due. You know, there's so many... There's no, like, grand goal of, like, major exhibition. That, oh, or, yeah. Or... I mean, well, the thing is, is that world exists. You know, there's... Uh, this guy, Banjo, just had an opening um, at the George Escalante Gallery this weekend in Chunking Road. And, you know, that was a big deal for the glass community because it was a traditional art dealer oh, wow. showing glass as art. Cool. Um, you know, because there's tons of head shops that have had these shows. You know, really really nice head shops. Yeah. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, they're still kind of painted as a head shop. Right. So, um, that's that, but you know, for me, the, the world exists and, it, and it's moving that I just want to kind of give, give this to that world because they need it. You know, there's this, there's a really interesting divide, um, because you know, within that 15 to 20 years, there's some artists that have kind of been forgotten, you know, and yeah. those artists are incredibly impactful and incredibly important and people don't, I guess, understand necessarily that, you know, glass and learning to, to, you know, create borosilicate glass is kind of, it's, it's kind of like traditional Rembrandt or painters or stuff like that, where you come from a school, you learn from an artist who passes on their techniques and then you take those techniques and do your own thing. So, you know, there's, you know, cannabis is a, is a young person's game and there's, you know, a bunch of young 20 somethings who, are holding up certain artists on this pedestal without really understanding the history that got them here kind right. of a thing. Because if you're, you know, ca- cannabis has been legal in California since 1996. So, you know, there's a large group of people that that grew up in L.A. that kind of don't know the world prior. Prior, you know, yeah. don't know the world, don't know where it wasn't legal, where, you know, where it was illegal. So, you know, it's really kind of an educational tool for for these people to you know understand and see these traditions that that they're part of well talk about mimicking photography i mean how many times do i see projects being paraded around is like oh check this out this is amazing and i'm like billy did that in 1985 sarah Uh, did it in 1996 and you're like did you even bother to go back and look well i think well so this is kind of one of the things that got me on art book apps but also even before that in like 2007 2008 i I published a magazine called Glitterati. Glitterati, yeah, that's right. And so, and it was that whole thing where the internet weirdly forgot a lot of these photographers and you had a whole, you know, the whole generation of photographers, young photographers that are working today, learned everything on the internet. So, you know, if Horst or Penn didn't have a flashy, you know, flash site, you know, in the late 90s, there was, they weren't going to look at it and they weren't going to attribute that as being part of the photographic tradition. And 
So part of Glitterati, what I was doing was, you know, doing this high-end fashion magazine, but then putting people like Doug Kirkland in there and, yeah. and looking at this old work to kind of say like, hey, look, this is part of a tradition, you know, explaining people who Hoynigan Hune was and how that was impactful to horse and the whole tradition of fashion photography. And, you know, then that kind of idea morphed into art book apps where, you know, really realizing that, you know, it's that truffle salt question. You know, if you've never tasted it, you don't know how amazing it is. And it's right. like if you haven't seen this work, and that's that's like that's the hard thing, right? You know, you're going, these people are participating within the collective consciousness and taking pictures and doing stuff. And for them, it is an original idea because they've never seen it anywhere else. That's exactly you right. You know, and so it's it's. I feel like it's kind of my responsibility to help. You know, not not say like, hey, somebody else did this first, but be like, look, you're part of this tradition too, and you're participating in this, and now it's your turn to take it to the next level. That's the key for me is yeah. is how it's presented. Yeah, it's presented as if, oh, you did that. Yeah, oh, then yeah, you yeah, would yeah. love this. Yeah, because exactly. if you say, you know, like for documentary, people will come up and say, oh, I just did this, and I'm like, well, that's like Gene Smith, and they're like, who's Gene Smith? And you exactly. go, okay, well. Oh, you'd love his work. Exactly. You should check it out. Exactly. And so and yeah. To be honest, like I've had people do that to me, and it's great. You know, I had a whole. I've had series of work when I was younger and shooting a lot, where I'd be like, "Oh, check this out," and they'd be like, "Oh yeah, you should look at this." And then I look at it, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, okay, good. yeah, great, thank you." Yeah, you good know? to know. Yeah. I I remember uh, being. I, I showed. I was in, just gotten out of college, and I'd done this project, and someone looked at it and said, "Oh, that reminds me of Anthony Cretacville," and I was horrified because one, I was like, I remember reading about him in school. And then I thought, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing because I really love his work, but yeah. it's, maybe it's a bad thing because maybe I maybe I did read that article and say, shit, did I copy what he was oh, doing? I think it's an amazing thing. Yeah. You know, we uh, we had a Julie Blackman show, the show before this one, and we're starting to do lectures at the gallery and all these interviews and all this stuff. And Julie, I mean, Julie was just so great. Like, I forget what the question was, but she was more or less like, hell yeah, I copy people. She's like... <laughs> You know, and she and she told this whole story about a teacher that she said that said, you know, find the people who you love and copy them. Because if you take a little bit of all these different people and copy them, it becomes you. You know, you take the pieces that you want and put it together with all this other stuff and it becomes your voice. And it's not a bad thing that it comes from somebody else. In my opinion, it's a good thing. You know, if people come to you with a really, truly original idea I mean, doesn't that mean that I'm not going to understand it if it's original? You know, it needs to be part of that consciousness. It needs to be part of, you know, a larger conversation that people are having. Hunter Thompson used to type Hemingway books, page, sure. page for page, yeah. on a typewriter, just to get the cadence and yeah. the staccato of how he wrote to say, okay. And I mean, Hunter's writing is really different from sure. from Hemingway's, but you know, you look at Hemingway and you go, well, this is simple, it's yeah. short, these blocky sentences. That's ah, a piece of cake. And yeah. then you try to do it, and you go, okay, maybe that's the hardest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. So, okay, so that pretty much wraps up, I think. We're, we're, we're at almost an hour, which is way beyond what I said I was going to do. <laughs> no worries. Um, so what's, up, what's next on the horizon for you? Oh. I mean, literally, we're going to have a giant bowl of that truffle salt, right? Yeah, just exactly. Eat that straight. But exactly. Then... I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested. Um, my wife's an interior designer, and I, I'm, I'm really interested in creating spaces, you know, because okay. of so much of what, of what we do here is – you know, and having this artwork and doing this stuff, um, you know, a traditional gallery here, but, you know, these things go and they live in people's homes yeah. and they and they become part of their everyday life and, and how they identify themselves. And so my wife and I are actually in the midst of, you know, figuring out um, basically building houses in Joshua Tree and um, completely designing them out and creating these little, you know, kind of artistic worlds and, you know, giving people an opportunity to either take it as they come or do what they want with it. But, you know, there's an interesting thing happening in LA and I, you know, I joke, but kind of not joke, but, you know, Joshua Tree is becoming the Bushwick of LA. You know, yeah. LA is, is reaching a point similar to how New York was where the artists aren't able to live in downtown or Highland Park or Boyle Heights. I mean, they're yeah. sure as shit not, not able to live in Venice. Yeah. Um, and they're getting pushed further and further east, and I think a lot of them are finding a haven and a community in Joshua Tree, in Twenty Nine Palms, and Wonder yeah. Valley. And so, something I'm really interested in doing is kind of, you know, how to how to turn Joshua Tree into the Marfa of LA, and you know how to get that energy and get people excited about, um, you know, participating in that world out there, and you know, creating these fanciful little lands that you can kind of go and experience art and have conversations and you know eat great food i mean that's another thing that i'm 
I mean, I just do always. I have a huge garden. I've had goats. I've had chickens. I do aquaponics. And I think that there's a, you know, something really important about, you know, eating and community and sitting down and talking and having these conversations, which is why I was doing these dinners and why I was doing other things. So that's a long winded answer to your, to your question, but, you know, really just trying to kind of create more opportunities for people to hang out and talk about art. Yeah, well, those are all commendable things. I mean, Joshua Tree, I think it might actually stick this time. That, yeah. that it's been they've tried it over the years, eighties, nineties, whatever, and there were some really remarkable people that went out yeah. there. Uh, many of them have moved on, but I think now because the city is expanding, and uh, like you said, I think people are priced out. Yep. And they're also realizing that the days of spending eighty percent of your take on overhead, you never get to do your own work if you yep. work that way, whether you're an artist or a photographer. So. So get out there. Uh, I think that's a really interesting scenario. So I wish you the best on that. Thank and, you. And um, I really appreciate you taking the time to do yeah, this. Thank I, you. I, I lied. It's way more than 30 minutes. <laughs> no but, worries. But um, we're going to do a quick picture, and then I'll get out of your hair. But Great. thanks again. I loved it, and I'm glad to finally catch up with you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.